those kind of decisions that are available were available to me all the way through, but it seemed a lot easier after a dramatic thing to justify it in the eyes of my peers and friends and also myself. I might have got there eventually, but maybe not. You know, maybe I needed that crisis. That's why I'm grateful for it because that was, you know, not something I would have chosen. It set me on a very different path, one that I'm, I'm really happy to be on. It's a three-minute thing that I do every morning, and it's not pleasant, but in terms of disproportionate impact, I think that has an impact over my whole day. Like, it changes my energy levels. Usually when I haven't gone with the perfect thing and gone with the thing that's good enough, that's usually been the thing that's been awesome, Mm. even though it mightn't have seemed like it at the time. Hi, everyone. My name's Dustin Elliott, and welcome to the Y2 Podcast. On the Y2 podcast, I interview interesting and noteworthy people to learn about their journeys and specifically look to understand their beliefs, values, mindset, and the resources they use to get started and succeed on their journey. Before I introduce you to today's guests, I want to just take a quick minute and thank the Y2 podcast official sponsor, YZ. YZ is an easy-to-use online training software that makes it so simple to create and deliver online learning. I actually love this product so much. I reached out to these guys and wanted to work with them as I see the power of the system for clients. This online training software is very flexible and you can use it to automate a whole range of tasks in your business. For example, you can manage all of your employee training, train customers and partners in your products, track licenses and qualifications of your staff, create and sell online courses, capture more leads with free online courses, and so much more. Make sure you jump over to their website, yz.com, that's w-y-z-e-d.com, to check out some videos and even get started today with your own free 14-day trial. And as always, let them know I sent you when you head on over. But back to today's show, and today's guest is Adam Murray. Now, Adam is currently product manager at Cogent, but probably best known for being the man behind the mic of the Subtle Disruptors podcast. After having completed over 70 episodes, Subtle Disruptors is a weekly podcast of down-to-earth and inspirational conversations with those who are having an amazing local and global impact through their work in an under-the-radar way. Each conversation is recorded in a location that's significant to the story of the guests, from co-working spaces to cafes, train station to bars, and everything in between. Adam has had incredible success with the podcast and even visited to the coveted front page of iTunes where you should head over to listen to his podcast after you listen to him here. Now, I've been a big fan of Subtle Disruptors after hearing previous guests of the Y2 podcast, Corey Wassel, featured on Subtle Disruptors back in April, just before the Y2 podcast officially launched. From there, I found myself in an ever-deepening sense of awe of Adam's ability to ask the right questions at the right time to bring up the most brilliant insights of his guests. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know I'm a big believer in Tony Robbins when he says that the quality of your life can be measured by the quality of your questions. From that, I've focused a lot on asking better questions of myself, the people around me, and of course, my guests on the podcast. I wanted to feature Adam on the podcast as I believe that by asking better questions, we can lead better lives, but it all starts with the right questions. Of course, as I've found, and as I'm sure you're thinking, it's easier said than done. But this isn't just about asking good questions. It's an exploration of Adam's journey as he's navigated the challenges of finding his calling in life and finding a place that was truly aligned for him. Specifically, you'll hear how he navigated the challenge that we probably all face at some point, 
and that we have to take a step back from the money and prestige and the role we're in in order to take the eventual step forward towards something that we really want to do. Please make sure if you're not already subscribed to the Y2 podcast that you're subscribed. And if you're listening to this on iTunes, I would love if you can leave a review. Make sure you follow the Y2 podcast on Facebook, where you can find us by searching for the Y2 podcast. And a special thanks to Belinda Coombs from Red Lemon Productions for being the Y2 podcast's official audio engineer. But with that being said, let's get to today's chat. Adam, welcome to the Y2 Podcast. Yeah, thanks, Dustin. Cheers. Um, it's, uh, it's a great pleasure to have you on the podcast. Um, obviously, for everybody who doesn't know, you you run a podcast this, uh, called The Subtle Disruptors, which uh, I've been a big fan of listening to a while, and we have a, a mutual guest in uh, Corey Wassel from Burst Wealth as well, too. So, That's it, yeah. Um, but uh, I, I look to, um, like we were talking about earlier, you're 71 episodes in, and uh, you still have incredible passion, enthusiasm, and energy in it. So I, I'm very much uh, humbled and honored to be able to <laughs> sit across from somebody who's uh, oh, such a successful podcaster. And um, you know, beyond that as well, too, I, I consider yourself not only an amazing podcaster, but an incredible question asker. And the idea of asking questions and has been something I've been um, really interested in for a while. But I look at your ability to ask the right question at the right time and the responses you get from your subtle disruptors on your podcast, which we'll talk about later. It's, I'm, I'm always humbled and awed. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to sitting down today and having a chat with you, not only about your story and your life and the things that have led you to where you are today and running a podcast and what you do you know, for, for a job and all that, but yeah. also really looking at diving in and trying to unwrap your brain a little bit about how you think about questions, how you ask about questions, because I'm a, I'm a huge believer in life that we don't, I don't really care what somebody tells me, I care why, or I don't care what somebody thinks, I care why they think that. And by asking the right questions of ourselves, of other people around us, of our companies, of our jobs, of, our, you know, of everything we do, it can lead you to such a deeply profound sense of actually helping you to achieve what you want to achieve. So yeah. long way to way, but I'm really looking forward to getting into today's chat. Cool. Yeah, me too. Excellent. So I got to take a page out of your book, and uh, I'd love if you could just start off today. Tell us about this this beautiful room and this beautiful building we're in. Yeah, sure. Um, so we're we're at a co working space called Team Square, and it's the co working space that the consulting company where I work three days a week operates out of, called Cogent. And this room is the ballroom. It used to be a. This is one of the oldest buildings in Melbourne. And this, uh, most recently before the co-working space was here, this was a legal firm and this is the ballroom or the, uh, I don't know what they used to call it, <laughs> but they used to have a table here and they used to sign their deals here. This was the deal signing room. Wow. Um, and it, yeah, it's a beautiful room. It's got really high ceilings and nice lights and, and um, yeah, I've actually recorded a couple of my interviews here as well. <laughs> a couple of my guests have uh, requested this place, for, so I thought it'd be good uh, for us as well. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I got to yeah. ask, how does it feel being on the other side of the mic for once? Yeah, it's, uh, it's good. It feels more <laughs> relaxing, actually. <laughs> <laughs> this is the time when uh, you, you, you get to talk probably more than you're used to talking in yeah, your podcast. Yeah, so totally. Got to yeah. try to ignore the senses of shut up, Adam, shut up. So <laughs> yeah. keep, keep talking. Awesome. So, I mean, as always, we want to kind of go back a little bit and to sort of start to tell your story. And we were speaking about earlier that you had an experience not too long ago, which brought a really beautiful contrast to your life, looking back 20 years when you were first 
interviewing to mm. now when you interviewed most recently. I'd love if you could take us through and tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, when I was 20, I was graduating from my IT degree at uni and um, it was a, I was at Swinburne and it was a pretty interesting time because I had done well at university and I've always had this thing in the back of my head about picking the best thing that's available. And uh, for me, that meant the big four consulting firms. So I applied at most of them and, um, and I went to the PwC interview and it was a whole day interview of, um, yeah, like some teamwork stuff and then lunch with a bunch of employees and uh, partners and then some interviews with some of the partners there. Wow. And, um, yeah, I was in my element in many ways. Like I... You know, I looked the part, I spoke the part, um, you know, I killed it and I got the job, um, which was good, but I kind of was, I don't know, I had this thing that I was going to learn the game so I could change the game, mm. and, but I was sort of pretending to be something that I wasn't quite as well. I thought, I, I thought that I had to be, I had to do the thing that everyone else thought was the best rather than understanding, first of all, what I thought the best thing was for me and then doing that thing. I wasn't in that state. Um, so, yeah, 20 years later, I interviewed here at Cogent, um, which is also a consulting company, a much smaller consulting company based only in Melbourne, but a very values-oriented consulting company and one that genuinely puts the welfare and the well-being of their staff front of mind. And so the interview process was very different and I felt, I remember going into the interviews thinking, I'm going to be myself because if, if they can't accept me as myself, I don't want to work here and I want them to know who I am so that they can make a good decision about whether I'm a good fit as well. And so, um, yeah, just they, they have a, a rigorous process of a values interview and then a salary interview. They've got an open salary model mm. and then a, um, a skills interview as well and I remember feeling really comfortable and non-filtered when I was doing that. And uh, it's sort of, for me, those two things contrast how I used to be and, and sort of the direction that I've, I'm trying to follow now, which is understanding who I am and what's important to me and um, why I think the way I do and, and then to try and put those things into um, positive actions mm. as well. No, it's yeah. fantastic. I, got, I have to say, I'm, I'm truly in awe of Cogent and everything that Cogent's been able to create. I remember um, myself coming with an HR background. I went to an event um, many months back, maybe it was even a year ago, and they talked about this concept of open salaries. And I was completely awestruck about the concept and thinking, wow. I mean, I'm sure most organizations, as one of their values, they'll have transparency. But the way that they really talked about it, going, nah, here's a business that is taking taking the values to a next level, to a really deep level. And yeah. um, obviously everything that the team's been able to do is incredible. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very cool place. So I suppose going back from there, obviously, we want to probably even go before PwC, we want to talk a little bit about high school. Because mm-hmm. for you, a lot of your story and what you've kind of just talked about now, a lot of that's really rooted back in high school. And, and you know, you went through a few challenges there. I'd love if you could just kind of start... Take yeah. us through a little bit about where you were and how you're feeling. Yeah, so I grew up in a uh, quite a religious house, Christian household, and I went to a Christian school. And um, yeah, I I guess I did pretty well at high school in some areas, like in the quite um, 
uh, rule-based subjects, if you like, and the sport kind of subjects, and not so well in the more let-myself-go, free-thinking kind of subjects. And I, I think I was quite a constrained person, and, um, but did well at school because of, I guess, the things I was strong at, uh, but sort of missed out on a few things, and some of that was learning how to express myself freely. And also, when all my friends went through kind of the big drinking, rebellious stage, I really um, cut myself off from that. I missed, um, missed out on a lot of formative experiences, I think, with them and for myself as well to kind of find out a bit more about who I was and what I cared about and, and push my boundaries a bit. Um, yeah, and so I think I, you know, once again, it was sort of back, even back in high school, it was like about doing the thing that everyone else thought, thought was the best thing to do and mm-hmm. not then being, I guess, mature enough to or aware enough to be able to understand what I actually cared about and what I valued and then courageous enough to live that. Mm. I, was, I, was, I was just wasn't at that point. And so that's kind of, you know, I was always thinking about how should I, what should I do rather than, you know, what do I feel and what do I, what do I want to do? Um, which led me, I guess, to picking the course that I did and then picking the job that I did mm-hmm. as well. But there were these little, you know, through that whole period of, particularly in uni, there were these little, little sparks, I suppose, where I had insights into the kind of thing that I might want to do. I, uh, I travelled to Kenya and um, just was blown away by the country and, um, and the, I guess the, yeah, the people there and their friendliness and also the poverty there as well. And um, I studied a subject called the economics of social issues, which was the only real subject that I did in my undergraduate degree that got me to think. Actually, mm-hmm. I did another one too called The, the Ethics of IT. And um, I didn't do so well in the economics of social issues and I did really well in um, ethics of IT. And I remember the, the lecturer actually pulled me aside and said, oh, you know, this is really good. Your assignment's really good. <laughs> we, should, um, we should talk and maybe you should stay on and do some more study. And I remember that being a bit of a pivotal point where I was like, oh, wow, like I've actually got this job at PwC already as a grad. Like I could stay here at uni and explore this thing that I didn't really put heaps of, like it was like I didn't need to try on that assignment because it just sort of flowed. Um, But I took the smart thing because, you know, (laughs) the so-called smart thing and took the job at PwC. Yeah. there was a few bribes there too. They were going to send us over to Florida for three months, <laughs> which was very appealing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, that was one of the, I guess that was quite a turning point in my mm. life about I could have gone in a, a very different direction. Yeah, yeah. I, I think what you said too about being in school and doing sort of, you know, really trying to focus on, I mean, uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is when I, was in, when I was in school as well, I was very much, it was about not, you know, get good grades, get into good university, and that, that caused me to, uh, take a lot of safe bets and stray away from, I think, taking subjects and exploring things that were a little bit more risky because I didn't necessarily know as much about them, which mm-hmm. is probably the reason why I should have done them. And I know I came out of university uh, and doing a degree that I probably probably shouldn't have done, um, but kind of going, wow, okay, uh, got a degree, but was it worth 
all the things I just kind of foregone and yeah. Yeah, studying and when friends are going out and trying to save money and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, sort of foregoing some of those experiences as well too. So yeah, uh, I totally, I totally understand that. Yeah. Um, I was curious as well too, when you were saying you're talking there, um, do you know why you kind of went for more of the safe route or why you were sort of trying, even when you were at PwC, why you were sort of trying to be the person you thought that they needed to be? Was there any particular inkling as to why you were trying to be trying to be that person and why you weren't maybe willing to take or to go down some of those, some of those, uh, take some of those other routes? Yeah, not really. I guess it's, there's some of the questions. Um, like I'm still grappling with some of this stuff too. I think it's quite deep-seated in me um, to do that. And I don't know, I felt a degree of responsibility, mm. I think, and that I had to, I felt like I had to be an example for some reason, um, for my friends and peers and my family. Um, and maybe it was partly the, some of the, you know, it was quite a full-on religious experience growing up, and maybe there were some elements of that mm. that drew that out of me, and maybe it was some tendencies in my personality as well to be that way. I'm not exactly sure why. I think there's some of the reasons and, as I say, I still come up against them today. Mm. Yeah. You still find them in your sort of your, your decision-making kind of thing sometimes? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, still wanting, like, the best thing and the perfect thing and, and uh, you know, it's just sort of reflecting that usually when... Usually when uh, I haven't gone with the perfect thing, so to speak, and gone with the thing that's good enough. That's usually been the thing that's been awesome, mm. even though it mightn't have seemed like it at the time. It's ended up that way. Um, so, yeah, just reminding myself in those decision-making moments where my natural tendency is to work out or, you know, what's got the, what's got the best TripAdvisor ratings, for example... <laughs> But actually, what do I feel is right for me? Mm. Um, no, what, not you know, ignoring all those, what the experts think. Yeah, I'm curious, yeah. when you have those moments, of those sort of those, those decision-making moments, do you go through any particular exercise, really writing stuff down or talking to somebody else, anything else to try to, to go through that and to be able to go back to sort of test and put that against your own sort of internal compass, your own sort of internal checklist, not that sort of that expert review kind of setting off to the corner or whatever? Is there any process you go through? Uh, not, not that formal. I suppose I, I try and get myself to step away from the situation and take a deep breath um, because it's often when I'm in a bit of a, a hyped-up state or feel like there's an urgency around a decision that I'll, I'll default to that. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about it really helps too. I find that for me, like talking out loud and trying to sort through the, get a canvassing a range of opinions, I find really useful, bouncing it off the different friends that I have and different mentors that I have as well. Um, for, you know, an, a recent example is changing schools for my kids from a private school to a public school. And it's something I've wrestled with a lot for similar reasons because everyone says the private school, well, not everyone, but, you know, the the people that I go to the private school with say that the <laughs> private school's the best. Yeah. And I want the best for my kids. And so the thought process that I get stuck in is if I want the best for my kids, I have to send them to a private school where they're going to get the best education. 
And so, yeah, I, I went through a process of realising that it was costing me way too much money, more money than I wanted to spend, more than I could afford. And, you know, looking at all the different options and then talking to a whole range of people from different sides of the spectrum to, I guess, come to a point where I was at peace with the decision. Mm. Yeah. No, awesome. Now, from when you got into PwC, that essentially started quite a long stream of consulting. Um, uh, but as we sort of kind of, as you alluded to, you were, you were doing it and liking it, but necessarily wasn't really true to who you were, I guess. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, I don't know if I was even really liking it. Yeah. I, um, yeah, as soon as I hit the workforce, uh, it was nothing like what I expected. And it was like all of a sudden I realised that the life I thought I was going to have was not going to happen. It was like all my dreams got dashed in mm. about a week and I, I actually had depression for about two or three years, I reckon. Um, not really diagnosed, but, yeah, it was a really tough time. I was really low and didn't know, didn't know what to do. Like I felt like I needed to, like I have a bit of a, I'm over-persistent. I think a persistence can be overrated and there's a time to pull the pin. Yeah. And it would have been if I had, was wise back then in my 20s, which is hard to be, uh, I probably would have pulled the pin a lot earlier. Um, but I didn't know how to. When I, once again, I felt stuck. It's a bit of a familiar theme, I suppose. But I felt like there was nothing else to do. Um, so I stuck at it for four years at PwC and four years at IBM. And I did – I sort of dallied in a few different things. So – I went over to India and did a two-month course over there in, um, in uh, economic development and um, social issues and, and that kind of thing, and, uh, which was amazing. And that really um, changed the way I thought about what I did. And it got me doing a Master's of Social Science at RMIT um, with a focus on in cities and environmental management and urban management. And that helped me. I love thinking about cities and how they're planned. And it also taught me how to think and to write. And so, but I didn't know, you know, and I probably could have become an urban planner, but I, I kind of didn't, I felt, yeah, I felt stuck. I didn't want to, and the reason why I felt stuck was because I didn't want to take a cut in prestige or in pay. Like I, I was earning, consulting firms pay good money and I was getting used to that mm. and I didn't want to, I didn't want to go back to square one. And because I wasn't willing to do that, it was very hard to make a transition out of that. Yeah. Yeah. So just for the listeners as well too, what was your, I mean, what was your sort of career? What were you, because you, you're a product manager now, but what was sort of those early years when you were consulting? What was your role? Uh, yeah, I was a, I worked in an area called data warehousing and business intelligence, and that was helping corporates bring all their, bring all the data from different, their different systems like HR, finance, sales, all together in one place so they can mm-hmm. write and have interesting reports on how their business is going. And, uh, that in itself I didn't find very appealing. Um, but I was a project manager. I started off as a developer and worked up the team leader and project manager. And it was, you know, the thing about it was it was a great bunch of people and it had a pretty good culture. And um, the work was challenging enough and it paid well. So mm. I'd imagine that's probably was, half the challenge. You're getting paid quite a bit, especially probably what I know now is quite a, uh, still quite a well-paid career, so a sought-after yeah. skill set. So you were probably making... A lot more money than probably a lot of other people that age and, and in probably that. Yeah, yeah I don't know but yeah it wasn't it wasn't terrible but yeah as you alluded to I um, 
it just I knew it wasn't what I wanted to do. Mm. Yeah, and it wasn't why I originally got into it as well. I was to get into it to learn the game quickly, to get some broad experience and get out. But I didn't know how to get out once there I got in. <laughs> yeah. So how did you finally eventually make the transition out after uh, after IBM? So uh, my wife at the time was working at Macquarie Bank, and she got a promotion to uh, to a promotion. Yeah, promotion to move to head office in Sydney. And at that time, a bunch of my friends were doing the whole London thing, overseas thing, and I really wanted to do something similar to that, and we had been talking about it, so this seemed like a good opportunity to live into a, in a different city for a period of time. And I resigned and got a, a job up there with another data warehousing company, consulting company, but um, it so happened that uh, a friend of mine from school had actually moved up there and married a guy from Sydney a few years earlier. And we, uh, they moved into a new apartment block and we bought the apartment next to them <laughs> as well in Surrey Hills. And I remember I went and had the interview for the, the job in Sydney and got the job and then came back and had dinner with my old school friend, my neighbour. And um, her husband, Boris, he offered me the job <laughs> of running a startup, I guess, or a, a new business which was a serviced office or a co-working space in Surrey Hills, which he had going for about a year or so, maybe two years. And his general manager had just recently resigned and he needed somebody to manage it. And it was, I went out and checked it out and it was a beautifully fitted out space and um, it was kind of just the opportunity I was looking for. Mm. It, was, it was a bit less pay, but it was still enough pay. And the great thing about it was it was a two-minute walk from my apartment to the, off, to, uh, <laughs> to the office space, to the yeah. business, and... It just seemed like, um, you yeah, know, an amazing opportunity. So I jumped that up. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm sure collectively we could hear a moan from people living in Sydney, Melbourne, and Brisbane who were on their one-hour, two-hour commute oh, yeah, two I minutes. Know. And in Surrey Hills, that's a yeah. incredible part of Sydney. So. Yeah, it was a pretty amazing time. We lived up there for about five years and... Yeah, there's a lot of cool things that happen up there. Absolutely. Yeah. So during those during that time when you transitioned out of um, um, you know into working running the co working space, what did you during do during that time? Because I think you started uh, you started uh, essentially working with somebody else and a bit of a, a slightly different entrepreneurial venture as well too, didn't you? Yeah, at that time in Sydney. Yeah. yeah. So I ran the office space uh, for Boris for about four years or so, and he's. A, a visionary, um, finger on his pulse, kind of uh, really strong, amazing taste in design. And um, he does one of the things he did was office fit out. So that's how he fitted out the office space. And it was, yeah, it was beautiful, as I said. And there was a bunch of fascinating people there. And it was great to be exposed to them. And um, we sort of turned that around and made it into a profitable business. And then he's always got a thousand ideas going on about other things he wants to work on. And uh, one of those was an importing business for Momo Design, which is a um, scooter helmet biz, scooter helmet uh, company. And uh, he sent me over to Milan to, to meet them over there and get the distribution deal. So I went and, and, and spoke to them and had a cool time seeing their factory and how they were all made. And, and we just started distributing them in, uh, in Australia. And then he also, we started getting into bike riding around that time as well, to cycling. And uh, he had an opportunity to purchase a, uh, a scooter and cycling business in Woolloomooloo. And um, I helped him get that business up and running as well. Um, 
and so yeah, it was it was really cool to I guess be around him. He's as I mentioned, he's very uh, entrepreneurial kind of, just always thinking about business ideas. And that was my first real exposure to somebody like that and to starting new ventures or smaller ventures and getting them off the ground. Mm. And it was that was a lot of fun to do that. So I'm curious, how did you feel then coming from getting finally breaking out of the consulting space, landing something that, you know, wasn't what you'd been doing? How did you sort of feel during those sort of first early kind of weeks and months and maybe the first year? So, I mean, was it, did it feel like a weight off your shoulders? Did you feel closer to, you know, getting, you know, more true to who you were? What were you starting feeling during those, that early time? Yeah. Um, Yeah, I definitely felt... I felt like I was doing the job that, yeah, a job that I uh, was very well aligned with who I was. Um, it was it was pretty nerve wracking at the start coming in and not really not really having a handover. Like there was only kind of two employees and and Boris on the business, so I just had to get in there and get my <laughs> hands dirty and try and work out what the hell was going on. And I did that and um, worked out well, mate. Making a loss. So it was just, it was fun. I loved getting my hands across, excuse me, all aspects of a business. And so that just felt, felt like I was coming alive. Mm. If not, there was a lot of stress associated with that too, because all of a sudden I realized that, oh wow, if I don't collect rent from those people down there who are late, then I'm not going to get paid. And it was my first, that was a, something I didn't realise before about business coming from PwC and IBM it wasn't even consideration that, and I guess the levels that I was at, well, you know, even in those bigger organisations, that if this client doesn't pay, then I don't get paid. Yeah. It wasn't even a factor. I was always going to get paid, even if they didn't pay. And, yeah, so to see, to actually see, have access to the bank account and the accounting software and the contracts and to be there trying to sell offices, mm. it was... It was like my introduction to the real world. Like this is how the real world is. The corporate world has this layer of abstraction from what happens. Yeah. Um, but here, this is sort of, you know, I was, I guess, I was brought up pretty sheltered way as well. It was kind of like, and Surrey Hills was not that rough back then, but it was still had some rough elements to it. So it was like my first, uh, and and you know, Boris was working in the construction industry, so there was some, you know, some eye-opening moments there about. This is the way a lot of the world works that I've had a blind eye to for a lot mm. of time. So it was a big eye opener, and it was, um, but yeah, I felt alive, kind of working in all those different parts of the business and having time. And that I really love the autonomy of um, being able to do things the way I wanted to do them to a large extent, and uh, work how I wanted to work, and also being so close to home. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like we spoke earlier, I actually had a conversation with a friend of mine that tells a story not too dissimilar where um, she's in a role right now making pretty good money and she's afraid to take that step back and then what she wants to do and feeling that she's not equipped for it. Um, but by the sounds of it, you kind of did the same thing. And I'm, I'm curious, when you first got into that and then all of a sudden had to be you know, selling office space and collecting rent, um, how did you go leaning into probably what would be the discomfort of it? Was it just a matter of thinking it and doing it anyways? Can you can talk us through how you went through those? Yeah. Especially getting your head around it in the initial spots. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of learning for me as I'd never done sales before. Um, but I did have, like, I did have some, like, I had some project management skills and I had some accounting knowledge from university. 
And those things really helped. Mm. And I didn't, I kind of didn't realise how much I knew. Um, and, so, and I'd been thinking about starting my own business and being involved in small businesses for a while, but it was always like, I don't know what to start and I don't know <laughs> how to actually do it. Yeah. But it was surprising how much I did actually know and what I had picked up from just being in that job for eight years, being in a consulting world for eight years. Um, so I lent on the, the tools that I had around systemizing things and um, documenting things and bringing, bringing order to mm-hmm. chaos. And that was, that was the thing I did first. Like, I want to understand what's going on here first. Um, and then when I knew what was going on and got things under some control and there was a lot of things I I didn't realize that I'd have to do and they became um but because I had that foundation they they became a little bit more easy like I wasn't doing everything at once so yeah then I just had a go like it was like okay there's no one else to do it it's like and this is I don't want to go back to that other thing because Mm. the people here are my kind of people and this is my kind of space and this is awesome so I want to I want to make this work and so I, I didn't really have a choice in a way and um, it was kind of like my first, it was many firsts for me in that job, but it was my first real getting comfortable with discomfort kind yeah. of thing, you know, having to do sales and having to think about the stress of cash flow and, um, yeah, a bunch of other things. Um, but because, because I knew I was in a good place and a place that fitted well with me, that they weren't too hard yeah. to do. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that idea too, that when you're sort of, when you're looking at the perspective of, okay, I'm about to go to something really uncomfortable. I'm about to ask this person why they haven't paid kind of thing. You can look at that and go, okay, well, what if I don't do that? What if I don't want to lean into that? And you realize that inaction is sometimes more harmful than the action it's going to take or the pain you're going to experience from inaction is more painful than the experience of action as well too. Yeah. So when you can start to sort of, create those systems in, in your life that force you to move forward, force you to lean into the pain. And as Michael Backer recently interviewed, when you, when you finally do fall into it, sometimes you don't realize it's as painful as you thought it was going to be. And they so go, true. oh, well, yeah. I'm so sorry. Let me, you know, let me get that for you. Or I thought I paid for it. And you go, oh, yeah. I thought that was going to be way worse. That wasn't nearly as bad as I thought. So <laughs> yeah. it's, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. So what happened after that? So you're running the co-working space for, I think, about almost three years or so, thereabouts? Yeah, a bit over four years. A bit yeah. over four years. So what happened after that? Why did you end up leaving that role? Yeah, so I sort of, a couple of things happened. I grew out of it and there wasn't really a lot of challenge or direction for me or place for me to go. And um, so my business partner and I decided to part ways at that point. Um, and I, I guess... I didn't know how to transition out of that job into something else that was aligned with me. Mm-hmm. And I had an offer from a, a bunch of guys I used to work with at IBM that had started their own company and to do some stuff in Sydney. So, and it was, once again, it was really good pay and I knew them and I kind of forgotten how much I disliked it. <laughs> <laughs> it'd been too long. Yeah, it'd been too long. So it seemed like a, a really good offer. I was also weighing up coming back to Melbourne at that point and um, starting the office space here in Melbourne where Inspire 9 is now. Like we actually <laughs> looked at that office and we got a lease on it and everything and I was going to do that. But um, I just didn't feel like Boris was really behind it. He was, he was kind of going in a slightly different direction at that point and so I decided not to do that. And like it was probably – it was a good decision. I think it was the right time for us to part ways. We probably could have started something together – something completely different 
maybe like a gelati store. I always had a gelati <laughs> store in mind, like a Messina. Um, but we did part ways. But I guess where the thing I didn't know what to do was how to how to sort of leverage that last experience to go into something even more more aligned and more challenging. And so, yeah, I went back to what I knew. I'm curious as well, too, during this time, were you, were you starting to get a better sense of, of what you wanted to do or, or what that next step could potentially be, better understanding of sort of your values and your preference and, and just a, a better distillation of that? Were you starting to kind of get a little bit more of that as you were going through? Or? Yeah, I guess a bit of a sense, but I didn't know what that looked like. So it still wasn't super clear about this is what I want and then trying to go and evaluate opportunities against that? Yeah, I just didn't know. I guess co-working wasn't really a thing then. It was just starting, mm. and so I didn't have the capital to start my own space, and I didn't know anyone else really doing it. So that could have been a thing, and that probably would have been pretty cool. Or probably to join a startup as like as a something manager. I don't know, but it didn't. It wasn't obvious the job that I could jump into. Mm. It just wasn't clear. And I thought I wanted to be like a general manager of something. Like I knew I liked small business and all all aspects of the business, but there was no – I didn't know how to find that. Yeah. I didn't have those kind of skills to seek that out. Um, so, yeah, went back to consulting and that was out in Burwood in Sydney at Railcorp. So it was a massive culture shock and it was very hard. And I stuck at it for a year and delivered a project. And then uh, we decided to move back to Melbourne we're having a second child and wanted to be around family. And but that was great. It was great to be around family again. We had our second child. And I also, in terms of career, I got to run a startup, a software startup business inside the consulting company. So it ended mm-hmm. up being like a really good thing. And that was that was once again a really good fit. And I put my hand up for it and um, and loved it and learned all about agile software development. And met a great guy there called Rob Postel who taught me a whole bunch of really good stuff. And um, it was an excellent three years in terms of my career. Mm. Yeah. When you put your hand up, uh, I mean, why did you put your hand up? Was it just something that you felt was closer, that next step closer to what you wanted it to be, even if you weren't quite sure? Or was there something else that sort of made you go, ooh, I, I like this? What was that sort of that? Do you know what that was? Uh, I think it was the, f- yeah, I don't know exactly what it was, but it was the fact that it was like a smaller business. Um, and it was like a general manager kind of role. And it seemed like it was similar to what I'd done at the office space. Mm. So it had a lot of those hallmarks. And um, I thought I was the best equipped person to do it as well. I sort of, in terms of the people that were being considered Mm. for it, I thought, yeah, this is the job that I can do. Mm. Like I can work it out. I've worked out the office space. I can work out this as well. So I had a lot of confidence and, um, and it, and in terms of what I'd done at Railcorp, I knew that I didn't want to do more of that. I mm. wanted to do something more like that. Yeah, absolutely. So starting to sort of build the walls in of, okay, I know I don't want to do that. Let's try. Let's point that a different direction kind of thing and start to take those incremental steps down. Yeah, that. that's yeah. right. Yeah. So what happened after that? So you did that for a while, but I think your life took a rather interesting turn shortly around this time, didn't it? Yeah, that's right. So a few things happened, like I, the startup. Um, they decided to put in further investment on hold, which meant I went back to consulting again and um, just really struggled with that and knew something had to change and I was still, once again, same, stuck in the same loop of I don't know how to change. I kind of want to be a product manager. I think that's a thing, um, but I don't know how to get into it. 
and it's sort of what I was doing. It was what I was doing as general manager. And even at the office space, it was kind of like that sort of role. Mm. And it was sort of a new thing that was coming, this product management role. But was, we were debating whether to move to Sydney. But around that time, my marriage actually collapsed. And that threw me into, into a real personal crisis. And uh, I stopped working, essentially. So I, I took a whole bunch of leave. And then I eventually quit my job. And then um, took 12 months off, took a gap year. And fortunately, I did have, like, I had some things that enabled me to do that. Like, I had some savings. I had, um, I guess, a good family network and good friendship network as well. And I was relatively healthy too. And so um, that enabled me to get through that very stressful time and um, to think about, I started doing this thing called the Good Life Project, which framed that gap year and, and gave me a community of people to... Um, to support me and to to help me work out what it is that I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to start my own business, uh, but I did, didn't know how to even start doing that. Um, and or maybe I just didn't have the confidence to start doing that. I didn't know what it would be. And so during that year, it was it was a great, it was an excellent process of all the things that were not core to me that I'd sort of built up over time, just slowly fell away. And, uh, was it deliberate that you, you sort of shed them or was it just sort of natural as, as you're starting to go through that transition that they sort of just dropped off and whatever they might be? Yeah, I think as I was had a different routine and hanging around different people, it just became clear that some things I didn't need and they weren't really important to me. I was doing them because I was hanging around a certain bunch of people. Like I, I used to cycle a lot and I just stopped cycling because mm-hmm. I, I was doing it for those people. I wasn't doing it as something that I liked or yeah. loved. Um, and, in, yeah, in terms of, like, when I was in that consulting world, it, it felt like there was no other careers, and that's sort of the way it was portrayed in that consulting world too. But there was just realising that, oh, there's heaps of ways to earn a living, and I started doing a little bit of contracting at that time. Um, yeah, so it was not so deliberate, but it was just a natural thing that happened as I, I guess, allowed myself to follow the things that were lighting me up that I felt curious about rather than, doing the things that I thought I should do because I didn't have to do them anymore because I wasn't in those environments. Yeah. Yeah. So was it just in terms of just such a drastic shock to your to your life in terms of um, what happened to your marriage that all of a sudden you started to begin to question everything again? Or what was sort of, what I guess what I'm asking is like what cleared the path for you to be able to look at those opportunities or those things again and maybe look at them through a different lens or on a different light? Yeah, it was definitely that crisis. It was, it was thinking... Like that was the most fundamental assumption of my life, my marriage, and I thought I could never, it could never change. So then when it did change, I was like, oh, wow, anything in my life could change. Like mm. any, everything's up for grabs. And there is, no, there is no certainty in this world. There's no guaranteed outcomes. Um, and I felt like I had a second chance. I was like, okay, I've almost got... I've, it enabled me to give myself permission to make some radical changes. And I felt like I had social permission as well. Mm-hmm. It was like, yeah. oh, he's been through a really tough time. Yeah. No wonder, yeah, he can do that. Yeah, he can do that. Yeah. You get a free pass for just yeah. do whatever you want. Yeah. yeah, that's right, which is bizarre because those kind of decisions that are available were available to me all the way through. Absolutely. But it seemed a lot easier after a dramatic thing to justify it in the eyes of my peers and friends and also myself. Yeah. And I may not have... I might have got there eventually, but maybe not. You know, maybe I needed that crisis. That's why I'm grateful for it because 
although it was, you know, not something I would have chosen, it's, it set me on a very different path. Yeah. Um, one that I'm, I'm really happy to be on. Yeah, I think um, something that Michael Back said during a recent podcast interview, and it's, it, 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 was, it was a barb when he said it, and it's just sort of continued to mull over in my head, and he said the, uh, the greatest challenge to a great life is a good life. Because if things are just good and okay and you're making okay money, it's hard to take the risk sometimes mm. to risk it to try to pursue the great life because it's good. Yeah. You don't change it. And the more I think about that, and I think that's, that's so powerful and I run that through the filter of my life and some of the, my biggest changes have happened when I have been put in a pretty crappy scenario or when, when something has happened, I should say. And then all of a sudden you're not having that good life anymore. So it gives you license to give you go for that great life but it's there the whole long the only it's just the it's the space jam secret sauce or whatever you know it's it's just there the whole time it's just how yeah. you look at it and how you begin to start to frame the decisions and what's valuable to you and whatnot in that in that moment so yeah yeah try not try to try not to wait for those moments to turn it on but at least i said you got the opportunity and, and here you are now and i think at this point too you started the podcast didn't you yeah so there were a couple of things that came up that sort of started there were little hunches I was having, like one of the things I started doing that year was just having a lot of coffees and going to different meetups and finding my tribe, I guess. Mm. And I was having these awesome conversations and meeting people that I just wouldn't have met and they were doing things that I'd never heard of, really cool things. They weren't the sexiest things. They weren't the, uh, I guess, they were never going to be, you know, Ubers or big massive startups, but they were, they were doing really positive things and they were loving what they were doing. And I thought... Um, I thought this would be, I wonder if people, I reckon there might be other people that'd be interested in hearing these conversations and who were similar to these people and maybe feeling disconnected and isolated. And I want to provide another way for their stories to be told as well because I think they're really good stories and worthy of being told. So that was the idea, how I got started in thinking about a podcast. And um, yeah, I'd been mentored by Jonathan Fields as well and he's got his Good Life Project podcast, GLP podcast, and I guess I was quite inspired by that too. He's an excellent interviewer and uh, has a lot of great guests, but I wanted to have a slightly different angle in that. I wanted to interview people that weren't that well-known, mm. who, um, who, you know, people hadn't heard about or heard on another podcast most likely um, because I, yeah, I thought that there was heaps of these kind of people who, and, and I, I think the thing that I thought was that they're making the kind of changes that all of us could be making. Um, you know, it's sometimes I think it can be fantasy and a, and a bit of escapism to listen to somebody that's, that's really um, successful or, uh, you know, famous or a celebrity kind of successful person. And there's, there's heaps of interviews with those kind of people and they can be inspiring. They've got some great lessons to learn about discipline and processes and taking risks. Uh, but sometimes it can be so far out of reach that it's mm. like it's, I escape for an hour listening to this to them on the podcast and now I'm back to my real life where I don't have really any changes that I know how to make. Yeah. But I wanted to talk to people that were making small changes um, that were having a, a significant impact in their own life and they were having a significant impact in the lives of the people that they were impacting through their work and through their life. And they were, they were things that, yeah, they genuinely were accessible and implementable by all of us. Um, and therefore, I found them empowering stories. Yeah. yeah. How do you find your guests? When you're, when you're going through, how do you decide 
or when you get that moment, you go, "Ooh, I need to have you on. You're a subtle disruptor. I need to have you on the podcast." Yeah, uh, I find them in various ways. Like I, those people that I was having coffee with and the meetups I was going to, they they were a good source to start with when mm-hmm. I found my groups that I was most interested. When I kind of uh, found the people that I really enjoyed talking to, uh, some friends I started with as well, some really safe people, and then. Um, just people I was coming across in everyday life because I started hanging out in different cafes or different co-working spaces. Um, I started getting some referrals and um, I just uh, some, even some publicists started contacting me as well with people <laughs> that had launched books recently. So it's a real variety of sources, but the main criteria is do I think I'd have an interesting conversation with this person? Like, Do I want, am I curious about who they are and why they're doing what they're doing? And then... Um, that's pretty much it. Mm. Yeah, if I, if I say yes to that, then I'll interview them. Or I'll, I'll, I'll ask them if they'd like to be interviewed by me. Yeah. <laughs> now, this next question i got to ask, I've, I've grappled a lot about how to ask it because it's an incredibly vague question, but it's a question to me that it's really important. It's something I'm still sitting on. But how do you ask your questions when you're sitting down with your, mm. with your podcast guests? Yeah. Um. Like I, like you, you know the structure of my my podcast, which is I have one one pre planned question, which is uh, what location have you chosen for the conversation and why have you chosen it, and then that's the only planning that I do. Um, I don't actually do a lot of research, and that's and I, th- I think there's a lot of merit in doing research because you can go to a deeper place sometimes and get. You can guide the conversation and, um, I guess, um, cut through a lot of the surface stuff. But I guess it's not the way I chose to structure my podcast. And I, th- I like that for a couple of reasons because I wanted to be able to follow my curiosity and intuition in the conversation. And I kind of wanted – I didn't want to know where it was going to go. Mm. Like I wanted it to be like I was sitting down in a cafe with a person for the first time and, like, I wanted my listeners to be sort of just at the table nearby yeah. overhearing. Like, that's, that's what I'm – as best I can, <coughs> that's, the, that's the atmosphere I'm trying to create on the podcast. And so I wanted them – I wanted my guests to feel as relaxed as possible, hence getting them to pick the location, um, and hence not having a lot of structure to it as well. I wanted it to be as close – I wanted us to forget that we were being recorded – um, which I don't think is entirely possible, but I wanted to come as close to that as I could. Mm. And so I think part of it was creating that kind of atmosphere. And then after I asked that first question, I essentially listen. So I, I guess a key, key part of how I ask questions is the listening that I do. And um, I often find myself pretty exhausted after a podcast interview because I'm trying to be as present and as listening as well as I can and not planning ahead. Mm. Um, every now and then I'll, I'll, I'll get a question and I'll park it and I'll put it there. So I guess there's a couple of things that I do. Like I listen really intently and I, I then cotton onto the thing that I got most excited about in their answer or most curious about. And I'll ask about that. And then I'll just follow that process, essentially. Another thing that I do, which is 
different to a lot of interviewers as well. And I guess it's my style too. And people have advised me against this, but it's just kind of the way I do it, is that I don't really cut people off or jump in. Mm-hmm. I let them talk for as long as they want to talk. Um, and sometimes that means, I guess, I won't, I might miss a question. But I think there's, there's something in that that that's a very rare thing to have in life, is to some, have someone who's willing to sit there and listen to everything you have to say and not cut in mm. and not make it about the direction that I want to take the interview in. I want to let the interview be what it's going to be and allow that space, as scary and as risky as that might be, I want to just allow that and allow that person to express themselves because in doing that, I often find that they might ramble a little bit but there's a lot of gold somewhere in there yeah. that they have to ramble on a bit to get to that gold. Um, so they're, I guess they're kind of the key things that I do. Like it's they're, they're really attentive listening and being present, um, trusting my curiosity and what I'm most excited about and what I want to find out more about and not what I think people mm. want to hear. Yeah. Like I really bring it back to myself, like what am I interested in here and what do I want to explore? And then um, allowing people to talk, just giving them the space and the environment, an environment where they feel comfortable, um, a feeling in which they feel comfortable as well. And, um, and then just and seeing what happens. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And one thing we, we spoke about too on the phone prior to catching up today that um, I always feel a bit of a bit of glean when I hear it is you talked about how a big part of your ability to interview came as well too from, from the listening and from the listening um, meditation has sort of equipped you and allowed you to, to grow that. And I know that for me, I, have, I mean, I've come from an HR background, so I've done heaps of interviews beforehand. And even in this podcast, listening to the early ones, you can, I can hear myself going, I can, I click off at a point cause I've got a question ready to go. And, but I'm not entirely present, I know, for as much of the conversation I want to be. I'd love if you could just talk just really briefly about meditation and how, how you think it's helped you in, in being more present around listening and, and um, you know, sitting with that person and just really engaging with them. Yeah. I think, uh, so in terms of my preparation that I do do, I think it's, it's, it's meditating and it's kind of reading and thinking, like and writing there. They're kind of the, the preparation tasks that I do do for interviewing, which are never directly related to an interview, yeah. but that kind of work always helps it. And yeah, um, meditation is a big part of it. Um, I think it's, it's taught me how to... But yeah, I think the best thing it's taught me is that I... Um, I have everything I need in this moment and I don't need to hold on to something for fear of losing it and I don't need to be prepared for what I think will happen. So um, a, lot of the, a lot of the meditation that I do is about breath awareness and um, body scanning and about, you know, um, for me that's body scanning is a lot about feeling a sensation and allowing and not, not craving it, not craving something I don't have and not having an aversion to something that I do have. So being able to accept whatever it is, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant in this moment and letting it be what it is and letting it, letting it pass as well. Uh, and also in that, in that stillness, I guess 
it's enabled me to kind of get past the chatter in my head and find out what the like what the I guess the more core things are to me. And so I think that that's the work that I do when I meditate is um, that kind of stuff. And I think building up those skills and exercising those muscles then helps me in that interview process, which can be stressful and it can be like I don't have a clue where this is going or <laughs> I, I don't have a question to ask this. Yeah. So I'm going to have to wrap this up. Yeah. Like this is uh, going nowhere. Um, to being, you know, to feeling those things and being like, okay, it's, it's okay. Like um, just listen and be and be with this person and give them um, space and time and hold that space for them and, and then see what happens. And being okay with that uh, ambiguity and that, uh, that, that fear and that, yeah, that lack of certainty. Yeah, and I think that was so beautifully said. And the thing too I think I really want to emphasize for listeners is back to what I mentioned in the opening of today's chat, that even though you talked about it in a podcasting sense or you're sitting down from somebody and trying to glean from them, everybody does that dozens of interactions a day when they can yeah. use those same principles. Well, it doesn't matter if it's you know a customer support person who's helping you out, whether it's a family member, a friend, uh, you know, many of us work with other people as part of our job. So being able to stop and listen to them and, and actually listen to what they're saying and not trying to have your rebuttal, your response, but sitting with that. And then the same thing you mentioned as well, too, cut through the mental chatter, you know, be comfortable with what comes next, be comfortable with a bit of silence. And he said, it's, if there's probably one thing that's profoundly changed my life over the last year or so, besides meditation, it's it's in that it's it's then taking what meditation has given me and translating that into how I engage with other people and why I'm so passionate about having you on the podcast and 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 wanting to sell that because I think you do it probably better than I said anybody anybody I know so far and it's, <laughs> it's evident through your podcast which I think is it's incredible and I think as well too one thing you do really well that's helped me out a lot when I podcast is when I was first starting I was really nervous about silence and I think because of that I would then. I would stop being mindful at one point or I would get an idea and I would sit with it and I'm still trying to be present in it but I admit it, I probably wasn't there. And the thing I love about you is that you ask a question and there will be an audible pause after. You can, you can, you can hear yourself, you can almost hear you kind of thinking of the next question but it also gives me, the listener, room to think about what I've just heard as well. It's not mm. just transitioning on to the next bit and I just I found that really powerful, so I want to yeah, cool. you know thank you for that as well That's too. Good to know. And, and yeah. uh, just said for everybody listening, I mean I think it's not just about podcasting; it's just about interacting with somebody. Yeah, and its most fundamental form is just that. So I suppose for yourself, obviously, just keeping mindful of time here. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about your story and the evolution of you've gone on, and uh, quite a bit about the podcast. But I suppose for yourself, having gone on a real journey, um, and especially as of late, as you've, you know, with the podcast and you've got a, a company, I'll get you to just briefly talk about at the end and stuff you're doing with Cogent. I, I suppose what's next for you? What's that next, yeah. that, what's that next phase of the journey look like for you? Um, it's not certain. Uh, I guess what I want it to be, what I have in mind is I see myself, there's a, there's a few key things. I've done this thing called the, uh, the self-authoring program, a guy, guy called Jordan Peterson, which I recommend people do, future authoring. And uh, it's a way of kind of crafting goals and tapping into deep values and that kind of stuff. And um, there's a few things that came out of that for me, and I can quickly list what they are because they probably yeah, sum please. up yeah. where, where, where I'm aiming right now anyway. Um, so one is to be the best father I can be. It's probably the most important. 
Another one is to focus on my own well-being and growing my own well-being, which includes things like meditation and nutrition and movement and understanding what I need there. Um, to be ready for a relationship with a woman again, like that's a real focus of mine. Like I don't think I am quite ready, but to get myself to a point where I am ready for that. Um, to, to find out what's to understand how I do want to express myself creatively and artistically too. I don't know what that is yet, but I want to explore what that might be. Um, and then there's a bunch about uh, creating a home. Um, so I'm renting at the moment on a property where my parents live as well, and I really have a strong desire to create my own home, again, for my boys and um, to create a space that's beautiful for us and where we can have friends and have a really... Uh, an awesome community feel to it. Um, I want to invest and grow. I want to have my own businesses and invest in other businesses as well. Um, so I've got uh, a business called Roy Mint Co., which is uh, a breath mint business, which uh, I've been working on for about two years. And we're kind of at a, quite a pivotal point over the next few months um, in terms of whether that will stick as a business or not. And uh, it's a pretty exciting time in regard to that. <laughs> Um, so I'd really like that to be something that earns me a livelihood and um, is, a, is a business, one of the businesses that I start to grow as my own. And then I want to use that as a way to also help other businesses and invest in other businesses as a consultant or um, someone like a mentor who can help other, you know, inspiring businesses do what they need to do as well, offer my skills there. Um, I think they're... They're kind of the main things that where I'm going now. In terms of the, I want to also the I guess the last thing is I want to improve my ability to think and communicate as well. So for me that means um, reading really well and and writing regularly and probably looking for speaking opportunities as well. Like I I do enjoy public speaking and I think it's something that I want to do more of. Which kind of means that yeah I don't know where my podcast will go. Actually <laughs> it's sort of. It didn't really come out as an obvious thing in that process. Um, and it might be that it ends up being something that has um, it's come to its end of its life. I'm not sure yet. Or maybe it, it, it morphs into something else next year. I don't know. But I'll continue doing it for this year and, um, and then see. But these sort of the things on my horizon anyway. Hmm. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Love it. So, again, just keep your eye on time. We've got to yeah, sure. transition onto our rapid-fire questions. <laughs> so I've got a series of questions here, which uh, probably my listeners are very familiar with. Um, again, the answer can be long, short. It's entirely up to you how you want to take it, but you ready to go? Yeah. Excellent. So first question is, is who's been the greatest influence on your life growing up? And it could be somebody you didn't know or some other prominent figure. Yeah. Like, the person that comes to mind is not the person I would have expected, and it's actually Jesus Christ, because I, <laughs> I am not a Christian at the moment, I, uh, I guess I'm on a different spiritual journey right now, but if I have a look about over the course of my whole life, it's definitely the Christ figure that has had the biggest impact on various stages of my life, not always positive, but certainly um, a profound impact. Just yeah. in terms of guiding your, guiding your values or guiding the way you think of things? Or how did it yeah, just um, guiding my values, guiding the way I think about the world, and now I'm sort of rediscovering a whole lot of um, things that I discarded from that part of my life mm. and reinterpreting them in a, uh, I guess, in a rather than 
thinking of them as, as myths with lessons to teach me, like thinking of the whole Bible stories as myths that have profound um, stories that have been crafted over millennia by various authors, um, and there's a lot of truth in there. It might not be historical or scientific truth, but it has some psychological or um, civilizational truth mm. in there that I'm um, getting. And I guess I haven't actually gone back and looked at Jesus' life in that regard yet. It still feels too hard right now and something that I've parked because um, it didn't bring up. There were some things that weren't positive that it brought into my life, but I think it's probably something that I will look at again mm. yeah, in a different way. Very interesting. Um, what gives you a disproportionate return on investment of your time and energy? Um, probably cold showers. Really? Is <laughs> <Yeah>. it <laughs> uh, something I've started doing recently? Um, Wim Hof. Uh, Wim people. Hof, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it's a three-minute thing that I do every morning, and it's not pleasant. And uh, But in terms of disproportionate impact, I think that has an impact over my whole day. Like, it changes my energy levels. Um, it has... I think it has a whole lot of benefits that I'm not even aware of in yeah. terms of um, bi- my biochemistry. And um, that's probably, uh, yeah, my number one right now. Yeah, Love it. I love it. Um, what mantra or inspirational quote has most changed your life and why? And I'd love if you could place this as to where you first heard it. Yeah. I don't know where I first heard it, but I know where I first sort of applied it to me, which was pretty recently actually. I was at a concert for a guy called Matt Wicking and his band, The General Assembly. And I was just looking at him singing and, and, and the band doing their thing and it's quite airy, expansive, uh, inspiring music. And um, I just remember the th- thinking, wow, he's just giving it all and he's just, it's amazing what he's doing. And I just found myself saying to myself, um, it's going to take all of me and it's going to take the best of me. And I think that's that's something that's stuck with me since that time. And like it's going to take, and what's it? And I mean, I think is it for me is um, uh, feeling like I've done something worthy, and um, I guess um, honouring myself in this life. And for that, it's going to take every part of me, like the bits that I don't think are that good or that pretty. It's going to take all those bits and it's going to take me using all of those bits in the best way that I can. Mm. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, if you could give a 20-minute TED Talk or some other speech on something you're maybe not well-known for, hobby or other interest, um, what would it be and why? Yeah, we have talked a little bit about meditation, but it would probably be on, not meditation specifically, but on my 10-day Vipassana meditation retreat. I actually really want you to talk about this because as soon as you said it, I had somebody, another friend say this as well too. And since then I've been, I've been super interested in this idea. I'd love if you could take us through it actually just a little bit now. Yeah, sure. So it's a, uh, it's a pretty full on process and uh, I didn't know much about it before I did it, but um, I just did it. And uh, yeah, it's extreme. Like it's being thrown into a monastery, eating vegetarian food, having a very strict routine and having no way to distract Myself from myself. And it's literally no technology, no speaking, <coughs> like you're... That's right. No eye contact. Yeah. No, um, yeah, no, no gesturing. There's nothing. There's no writing, no reading, no music, no exercise. There's, there's literally no way that I, can just, I could distract myself from what was actually happening inside me, which is the whole point. 
to say, can I sit with whatever is happening with me right now, regardless of how unpleasant it feels or how pleasant it is? Um, and so 10 days of that and a massive roller coaster and wanting to leave and the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, and, you know, not some great, I didn't, I didn't like all the aspects of Vipassana. Um, there was some, for me, there was, it was a little bit too religious. But in spite of that, I highly recommend it. And um, for me, it sort of helped me realise the superpowers that are within me and kick-started mm. me into meditation. But after that, I was, the degree of presence and the things I was able to notice and be aware of, it was like I did have a superpower of awareness for a period of a week. It was incredible. I think that's awesome. I know I'm reading a book at the moment called uh, Irresistible by Adam Adler. And the premise of the book is basically talking about technology and our addiction to it, basically, and why. And I downloaded an app called Momentum. And it's, it's, it's caused me to be very aware of how I'm engaging with, with my phone. And I know it's in those moments of boredom. Pull it out to distract yourself. And I've become very aware of it and very uncomfortable about how yeah. tethered I am to my phone and looking at like a 10-day silent retreat as a way to sort of kickstart or re- refresh kind of how, um, you know, being, being okay to be just completely sit with myself. And I, I've been meditating for two, two years now. I think I'm over 15,000 minutes or something. So, you know, I've done my, done my fair share. But yeah. I, I still find that going, oh, there's, I know there's something here. I just need something to break through that. So yeah, got me very interested in it now. Yeah. Um, can you tell us quickly about your morning routine? Yeah, so uh, I wake up, I do <laughs> the Wim Hof breathing, uh, for, which is essentially a, a way of holding your breath after doing some hyperventilating kind of breathing. <laughs> I um, have some apple cider vinegar in water. I meditate. I go and have my, my morning smoothie, which is my breakfast. Uh, I I have some bone broth as well, and then I um, hop in the shower. I have my cold shower, and then I'm off on my way. Just like yeah. that, eh? Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> awesome. I suppose my last question for you, and um, obviously we've been talking over the last hour and a bit, um, a lot about your story and about the journey you've been on, and the, tran- the transformation you've gone across, and what that transformation has created for you, being the podcast which and uh, the company started, but. I suppose my last question for Adam is, if you could go back to speak to your younger self, 18, 19, 20, 21, doesn't really matter, somewhere mm. around a younger, younger you, and if you could tell you something that would not necessarily make the journey easier, but maybe make it a bit more bearable or, or just some little gem you think that you need to hear back then, um, or for somebody who's on a very similar journey to yourself at you know, whatever age you decide to drop in at, yeah. um, what would you say to them? What would you say to yourself? Yeah. Um, I think, like in many ways, I'm happy with where I am now. So, you know, it's interesting to think about that. Would I actually say anything? But I think there is. I think I'd probably go back to myself, maybe mid-high school and maybe even, you know, end of university and just tell myself to, um, to trust my own instinct. I think that would be the key thing. And to forget about what I should be doing, what others think I should be doing, but to trust my own instinct. And even though it might not seem like it's, it's, it's going in a successful direction, to know that it will work out well. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Just for everybody um, listening today, where can they stay up to date about your journey and maybe reach out to you? Uh, yeah, they can. Um, I guess 
Probably my podcast is the best way to do that, Subtle Disruptors podcast, and Adam at SubtleDisruptors.com is probably the best email address to use. Um, you know, that's probably the most regular thing that I put out there, so... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'll make sure I have all the links to your podcast as well as your Facebook page as well too. Cool. Make sure you jump over. Make sure you have a couple episodes. They're they're an absolute treat. And there's there's lots in there to choose from. Yeah. Um, so obviously for everybody listening, make sure you jump over, have a listen if you haven't heard about them already. Make sure you follow them. Some great stuff and stay across the journey. But. Yeah. Um, my, it's been an absolute pleasure having you out today. I'm, oh, I'm, been I'm awesome. truly honored to be able yeah. to sit across from you and uh, learn about the man behind the microphone and, <laughs> and uh, all the gems of wisdom we be able to share. So, Adam, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Cheers. Cheers. Hi, everyone, and thank you again for joining me for today's chat. Please make sure you jump on Facebook to quickly like and share this podcast episode. If you're not already following me, please take another quick minute to hit that like button so you can stay up to date with all new podcast episodes, exciting announcements, and other things going on. You can find me on Facebook at Project Y2, that's at Project Y and the number two. And you can also follow me on LinkedIn if you're there. Don't forget to share and rate this on wherever you find your podcast episodes. And I look forward to having you join me again for our next Y2 podcast.